Okay, let's uh, let's get rolling. Uh, is that a out of place term for what we're doing here? <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh, let's begin with prayer. I feel like I have to lower my voice, my volume here. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, let's um, let's begin with prayer. Lord God, we, uh, we are so glad that we're before you hearing um, your thought, hearing uh, your thoughts, thinking your thoughts after you um, in this sort of circumstance, uh, gathered together in your name, uh, teaching one another, Father. Uh, admonishing one another, uh, encouraging one another through your word, through Christ our Savior. Uh, we bless your name and we bless your word. Uh, please open our hearts and our minds to hear and understand and apply, to change us, to transform us, to bring us joy and gladness in Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. Okay, I feel like I'm tipping over to this side. I don't know how that happened. It's something like a Titanic effect, you know. Okay, so here we are, chapter 18, the last chapter. Um, and, and you have endured through all of this sin. <laughs> um, that's good. Um, we today we we have a very short chapter actually in chapter eighteen sins omissions, um, which is and I take to be the uh, sins of omission. Okay, we'll get more into that distinction a little bit later. Um, then, after we finish looking at chapter 18, we want to do something of a review or overview of the book. Uh, I, and I, I really want to hear from you on um, the, your, your best thoughts about what, what you've learned in this series and um, how it's affected you, impacted you. Um, so... Let's get started. Um, first of all, okay, so we're talking about sins of omission. Uh, of course, he's contrasting sins of commission with sins of omission. That is, uh, uh, in, in the Ten Commandments, for instance, you have uh, thou shalt not, so uh, a number of things, not all of them, but all but two of them. And uh, they are forbidden things, so doing them are sins of commission. Uh, you look at the two laws that Christ gave that summarize, in his estimation, summarize the law. They are uh, love the Lord your God, uh, love your neighbor. <clears throat> so to, to not do that are sins of omission. I hope that, that helps and makes it plain. So, first of all, what are, when we think of the word 
very narrowly, uh, the word omissions very narrowly in this sense, sins of omission. Uh, what are synonyms? I think it's helpful to think about synonyms for omission in this case. Uh, if you can give me some, some thoughts on that. What are some other synonyms for omission? Okay, a person who's, who's lazy is, yeah, right, not do, yeah. Negligence, mm -hmm. okay. Um, and that, that can be even an attitude, you know of not, just deliberately not bringing things to mind and, and putting them in your daily habit. Okay, other words? Avoid, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that's just, that, just a step removed notice, by the way, from uh, suppression. Uh, we, we have all, way, all kinds of wicked people have all kinds of ways of suppressing the truth and, and the effect of the truth in their lives. So avoiding, yeah. Hopelessness. Um, it, well, it, it, I think when we get to the end of this, this uh, chapter, we can see that there, there are things that happen that cause us to, uh, to sap our energy. Yeah. So... Anything else? Other things? Other synonyms? Ignore. Ignore, yeah, or ignorance. That will come across in this chapter. You've probably read it. Uh, okay, any others? Exclude. Okay. Okay. Um, let me throw... Through throw a few others out there. I think someone said neglect, but um, and um, failing uh, failing to do what's necessary. Uh, indifference. Okay. Uh, a lack. There there's several synonyms in in the in this uh, chapter. Forsake. Um, and many others. Okay, so that that's that are that's synonyms. Um, when when I went back and looked at the first title, uh, the title of this first section, the fir this title is "No Food," and I thought, what in the world does he mean by that? Well, he was referring to Matthew twenty-five, uh, where Jesus was saying what people did not do, they didn't do it for for the poor and the hungry and et cetera, and you didn't do it for me. And one of those was I was hungry and you gave me no food, okay? So uh, that's where he got the title of this. Um, we tend to focus on negative commands, that is what he forbids. Um, and I, as I pointed out, all but two of the Ten Commandments are, are negative, but... Um, of course, there's the Lord's uh, summary of those that's, that are positive. We, however, we, we may neglect what God positively commands us to do. Uh, this chapter will uh, 
point out the significance of sins of omission. Joan says this, uh, idolatry takes us away from serving God to serving ourselves. I don't remember. I think it was, it was somewhere in this book that it was pointed out that uh, a person's idol eventually becomes himself. He is the idol, and he is the worshiper of that idol. Uh, idolatry takes us away from serving God to serving ourselves, but it also takes us away from doing good to others. Uh, examples from the scriptures, uh, Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You've done this, but you haven't done that. And these weightier matters in Christ's estimation were justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. Do justice. Uh, is that Micah 6.8, I think? Uh, These you ought to have done, he says, without neglecting the others. So there's that synonym again. And you'll notice in, in the Matthew 25 passage, uh, the goats and the sheep, uh, he... he You'll notice the the significance of that. You know, it's not it's not a little thing, the outcome of that. Of course, it's not a little thing even in the lives of those people that we fail to minister to. It's a little thing in our. I mean, it's a big thing in our lives as well. He says to those, uh, "Depart from me into the eternal fire." Uh, He's he's separating people one from another in verse 32. Um, We see from this last example that that some will suffer judgment and damnation, not only for what they have done, but also for what they have not done or what they failed to do. Um, So here we want to bring to light these sins of omission. For Christians, um, these are areas of warning, uh, repentance, uh, ongoing sanctification. Okay. The scriptures are clear that we must both avoid sin but also practice righteousness. Uh, Ephesians 4. 25 to 32, makes this plain. Notice how Paul moves from what's forbidden to, to what's enjoined. You know, So from, from positive to negative uh, implications of the law. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So we're putting away one thing, but we're enjoined to do another. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work 
with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk, talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Now, so you'll notice there, he's not saying just shut up. <laughs> and maybe some people do need to just shut up if they can't think of anything uh, good to say. However, it, it, he's saying both. Uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. We have to put a governor on our mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Notice that last phrase, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave you. So you see there how Paul, in that passage anyway, uh, sheds light on that. Notice in Matthew 5, uh, and I'm going to, when I looked at this the last time, I put a big question mark beside it because I didn't know what he meant and what I meant, meant by putting it in here. But Notice in, in the early in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's uh, the, the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, so that indicates doing good, for they shall receive mercy. Pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. And all in the context, you notice, as, as Jones puts it, uh, in, in the context of persecution, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're, we're going to have to do good in the context of our own, really, our own suffering uh, and persecution for those very things even. Blessed are you when others revile you, vile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Be, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're the salt. I'm going to go on to 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So you notice there, one result of doing good is that God will receive glory, okay? Uh, and that is not, that's not one isolated little note on the same point in scriptures. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New. Uh, one of my favorites lately has been Isaiah 50, uh, 61, one through four, and it, it, the, the, where, where it's heading is that God would, be glorified by what he, he does. He works in us to rescue us, transform us. We do good things, and he is glorified. Okay. Um, a, 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 a section of the chapter was, I found difficult 
I'm still trying to grasp the scope and the impact of it, was uh, commission as omission. Commission of sins as omission. At one level, I think that's fairly easy to understand. Um, Let's see here. Let me. I'm kind of mentally rejuggling this chapter as I, my notes as I go along here. Um, Thomas Manton, uh, Puritan, he said this. Um, well, and he, Jones says he quotes this in order to make the case that even the sins of commission, in the sins of commission, there are sins of, om of omission. When we look more narrowly into these things, that is, sins of commission, sins of omission, we shall find both in every actual sin. For in that we commit anything against the law of God, we omit our duty. And the omitting of our duty can hardly fall out, but that something is preferred before the love of God. Um, James is, is helpful here. Um, James 4.17, you know this passage. Uh, so, every, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I, I kind of had, <laughs> I kinda, when I was thinking about that, how he used that, I came to realize that I, I uh, had, had thought about that all wrong, that, that verse. Uh, Somehow I always thought about it in terms of gray areas. Uh, but that is not a passage that talks about gray areas. You know, they, they, they know what's right to do, and they don't do it. He gives a particular example, the, the man who, who says, without considering God, you know, what God would have him do, or God's sovereignty in the thing, he goes and, you know, I'll I'll plan and I'll go and do do uh, business in, in this other city for a year. But he doesn't give glory to God. Um, and then he says this: So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is sin. Uh, so these are not the conscience conscience passages like in First Corinthians eight and, and ten. Uh, Spurgeon. In a certain sense, all offenses against the law of God come under the head of sins of omission. For in every sin of commission, there is an omission, an omission at least of that godly fear which should have prevented disobedience. Okay. Now, so, so, so far, so good. Um, you can kind of see how in that there is, uh, in, in sins of commission, there is sins of omission. Uh, if you go further along uh, in that, you can get into circular reasoning, I think. Okay, a sobering example of this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, is uh, is Eli, okay, in First Samuel, and th this takes some thinking about. We don't have time to think about it very deeply here, but you'll notice what happens. First Samuel, 
to uh, uh, Eli's growing old. He keeps hearing, keeps hearing, okay, that his sons are, are were doing what they are doing in all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to him, said to them, so it's not like he didn't uh, engage them at all on this. He says to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report what I, that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, uh, who can intercede for him? So you'll notice what they're doing. They're sinning against man. They're sinning against these women and whoever husbands they may have or but Eli says they're singing against the Lord okay uh, and it was at that point that God said uh, therefore let's see therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquities of Eli's house shall be not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever um, oh I'm sorry Let's get the most important part here. Uh, the Lord speaking through Samuel, I believe. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. For, now here's the key part, for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were, his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Okay, so you'll notice in God's estimation, all this that Eli did do, he, d he wasn't restraining them. What's the restraint in this case for this sin? Stoning, right? And Eli wasn't going to do that. Actual sins always uh, involve the omission because the violation of a law neglects the positive precept of the command. Um, and even in the Old Testament, you can find examples of positive precepts, okay, of commands where, you, where they're forbidden to do something. And we'll get into some of that in a moment. Um, I want to, <laughs> I feel compelled to um, I feel compelled here just to, to say that, I mean, if you've read the chapter, you'll see that he, here in this section, he, he says that if a husband speaks too harshly to his wife, he violates the seventh commandment. Um, and such also involves his failure to speak to her in a gentle, faithful, loving manner of speech. So uh, the, the speaking harshly to your wife is a sin. It's a dreadful sin. Uh, Peter and Paul both have things to say about this. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter, of course, in 1 Peter 3, 7, um, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman, especially as a joint heir of grace. 
uh, <clears throat> Paul's command, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Um, if, if there's a case for this being a sin, a violation of the seventh commandment, I think it's kind of thin. And uh, I'll, I, I'm going to pretty well leave it, leave it at that. Uh, of course, Jesus Jesus speaks to this, to the sin of adultery. He points out the implications of it there, positive implications in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this chapter cautions us cautions us to take pains not to neglect not to neglect what it would take to more love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So that's the practical, practical importance of that. Um, the, the, the third section is sins, um, the seriousness of omitting, or the seriousness of the sins of omission. In this section, Jones makes a case for the seriousness of sins of omission. Uh, he quotes Manton again, Thomas Manton, sins of omission may be more heinous and damning than sins of commission. When, consider, when considering what are the worst sins, uh, we tend to think of those things that are done that are forbidden. Uh, Every man, woman, and child is duty-bound to love God and love our neighbor as ourself, and yet sins keep us from doing that. The ways, some ways, just some ways, a few ways, that sins of omission are, are significant or perhaps even worse, um, these, these sins tend to harden our heart. Okay, uh, again, Thomas Mann, foul sins scourge the conscience with remorse and shame. But sins of omission bring on insensibly slightness and hardness of heart, meaning these sins of omission don't afflict our, our conscience as much as sins of commission. And, and so in that way, they tend to harden our hearts and could be more serious. These sins open the way for sins of commission. Again, Manton, they lie open to gross sins that do not keep the heart tender by t daily attendance upon God. If a man do not that which is good, he will soon do that which is evil. Uh, an example of this is, is David, of course. Uh, as, as Jones puts it, uh, and I think is the right way to put it, when, when, when David ne neglected his duty to go and fight God's battles, he was taking his ease instead. And you'll see what happened temptation, and uh, adultery. And he had to cover up the adultery by murder. Heinous things. 
Sins of commission often, this is another way that it's worse uh, or serious. Sins of commission often facilitate omission. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sins of commission often facilitate omission as they sap the resolve for doing righteousness. We have a certain spiritual energy and sin saps that energy. Okay. To, to, to do righteousness because, and this is the reason, and I thought it was very enlightening, because committing such sins involve a quenching of the Spirit. We may neglect reading of scriptures or neglect assembling t- together with our brothers and sisters for worship and fellowship, and, and you see a v- vicious cycle started there, okay? Okay. Uh, why would we uh, uh, neglect the reading of Scripture from sins of commission? Conviction, right. We're trying to sidestep com- conviction. Um, the practical the practical importance of this section, the, the, the common, here's an example. The common garden variety of sin, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me start over. The common garden variety uh, sin of anger, okay, is part and parcel with violation of the sixth commandment not to murder, according to Christ. It makes one liable to to judgment. Uh, While we may be thankful that by the restraint of God's spirit, we uh, avoided committing murder physically, um, anger still brings judgment, okay? especially if it's not acknowledged and, and repented of, confessed. Uh, the, the negative wording, let's see here, the negative wording of many of the Ten Commandments bring with them positive duties. Not only are we not to lie, but we must also speak the truth and not suppress. You'll notice in the Old Testament, uh, not suppress our testimony in some matter that we have knowledge of, okay? Uh, I didn't look up where that was that at, but it's, it's in the law. The negative wording of the sixth commandment brings a duty of positively doing those things which would preserve and defend the life of our neighbor. So not murder, do not murder. Such as, again, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not... uh, uh, Listen to this. This is why you build a parapet for you. A little thing, a little architectural thing that you get a chance to make sure is part of your house. (laughs) That you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house. Now, where do we hear that phrase first? This idea of the guilt of blood. It's already in chapter 4 of Genesis, isn't it? The murder, of, uh, the murder that happens there. And, and uh, this, there, are, there are sections of the Westminster Larger Catechism and others that provide uh, commentary on the Ten Commandments that are helpful here, I think, and giving us, giving, giving us some... Uh, perspective on sins of uh, omission or what to do 
what these things mean. Okay, then he has a section on religious omissions, the omission of religious duties. Uh, for, for He says, Joan says, that for, Christ, for the Christian, there are certain duties that are non-negotiable uh, in the Christian life, and their omission can or will prove faithful, uh, fatal to our walk with God, if not corrected. Uh, some of these would be uh, daily prayer uh, for, as he points out, we're to ask God for our daily bread. When do you do that? Da on a daily basis. Uh, I would also add to their learning, and it, it's, a, it's a learning experience, <laughs> a lifelong learning experience. Uh, I, I would say constant prayer, learning what that means and how we turn to God as a habit in prayer in every circumstance. He, he also mentions the, the, the practice and the, the ready habit of repentance. He points, out that the, he points out the harm of that, omitting repentance um, and not practicing it. The omission of repentance when we have reason to repent, which is often, is actually harmful to the child of God. Christians need assurance and repentance, which is saving grace, which is a saving grace, leads to assurance that God through Christ forgives our iniquities. So you see the harm there of not, not developing in yourself that ready readiness to repent. Okay. Uh, someone used the synonym ignorance a while ago. Uh, also, ignorance of God's word, which can be a sin of omission, especially if it is willful and connected to a general refusal to receive instruction. Reading, knowing, and believing God's word helps us mature in Christ. Omitting the study of Christ in his word opens us up to the alluring and ungodly counsel of the world. You, you see, we can't, we can't have it both ways. We can't neglect, uh, as Colossians puts, puts it, uh, how, do, how does it put it? Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, okay? Now, that's not just one thing. It's not just memorization, etc. It's It's a variety of things that you do in order to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, and he's not speaking just to Blake and uh, Ryan, who make a professional habit of that. And I'm sure in their own daily lives do the same thing. Uh, reading, knowing, and believing God's word helps us mature in Christ. Omitting the study of Christ in his word opens us up to so you'll notice what happens if we don't do if we don't if we're not soaking up, imbibing, ingesting, consuming the word of God, uh, we're we're what will come into our minds and hearts is the is the world the counsel of the world, the whisper 
in the ear okay, of the world. And notice the positive reason for not neglecting to meet together. This is a, another uh, religious duty that we can omit. Uh, let us, and this is Hebrews 10, of course, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you notice the context is meeting together, okay, assembling yourselves together. Um, the, the, the modern evangelical Christian and church has had a huge slide in that since COVID because we got in the habit of watching it from, from the, the television. I, anyway, um, so what, what happens there when you meet together is uh, we stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, we encourage one another. Okay, you failed at that love and good works, but let me encourage you in this thing. You know, you can go back to it, you know. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay. Uh, another th area is worship of God. Avoiding worship of God leaves us open to someone or something else taking its place. What's that called? Idolatry. Okay. And, and <laughs> uh, can't remember who it was. Uh, you got to love somebody, um, the singer who, Dylan, okay? Uh, you know, when he, uh, when uh, he became known more as a Christian, whether that's so or not, I'll, I'll have to go back and look, but he recognized you've got to love someone and that you're going to, okay? Um, another Thing is failing to take a stand for God's honor and his gospel because of the fear of man, okay? So that was a relatively short one. Uh, the application, uh, let me, I think we have time here. Let me read a, a bit out of how he puts it. He, he had a couple of things, and I, 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 I mean, what's the application of having, having exposure to this idea of the sins of omission? It's not to omit those things. Okay, get with it. Get with the program. Now, let me give you what he, he says here at the end. Uh, we should marvel at the obedience of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He, he not only refrained from sinning during the course of his life on earth, but he was positively obedient to the precepts of God's law. He did not lack in love to God or his neighbor. His righteousness is imputed to us simply by embracing him in faith. God cannot reject us because we have, through imputation, fulfilled the law as Christ did. His righteousness really is our righteousness. That anyone could think 
that they can stand before God and enter eternal life on the basis of their, uh, basis of their own, own obedience, even in the slightest way, testifies to the marvel of human madness. Our sins are as numerous as the sand on the sea, but Christ's perfect, complete righteousness answers to this predicament. No one else can or will offer you what Christ alone can. Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, your greatest need is the one who came into the world to save sinners. Okay. Uh, I should have solicited questions and comments up at the front, but uh, how does this how does this chapter strike you? Uh huh. Dorothy Sayers quote. Uh huh. Um, well, I'm not sure I understand either. However, uh, we we touched on that a moment ago about what sin, what sins of commission do to us. They sap our spiritual energy because we're quenching the spirit. We're throwing water on the fire of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, and so, sloth is one of the results of that. You know, every once in a while, fairly often, two or three times a day maybe, <laughs> I, I'm exposed to some example of the brokenness in this world, what what sin has done done to us and to others. The other morning, I was out. I, I don't know what I was doing, watering or something, like watering the grass or something. I don't remember, but I saw this young man. Must have been in the. He lived in the neighborhood and he thought it was a good idea to go out for a walk. I don't know. But he was so he was walking along in a way that was so so defeated, you know. And I think of a, a generation of, of of young men who were defeated, uh, defeated by the world having too much input in their life uh, and their own sin. And, and sloth, I think, is one of the results of this. He he was just walking along. He, I mean. I'm not going to call this walk in the morning as a, aimless, but it was pretty close to aimless. <laughs> you know, and we know people like that, don't we? I'm sorry, uh, I don't know if that answered your question. I mean, yeah, Dorothy Sayers' quote is is worth reading. I'm not, but I'm not going to to take the time to read it. It's it's pretty pretty good on sloth. So we do, you know. So maybe that's one answer to, to the question. Anything else? Sir? Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the way you put it, I mean, some of your phraseology, sins of omission as well as sins of commission plow the ground for that kind of thing, don't they? But the Spirit and the Word and the fellowship are plowing a different ground, aren't they? 
Okay. What are you going to give yourself to? Yeah. Sir. Yeah. I would add to that something that I'm having to do more and more all the time. I'm, I'm sorry, Frank, frankly. Coming to God in, in our weakness, you know. I mean, just... Again, it's something all, all encouraged all over Scripture. I mean, even something as simple as John 1, 9. If, if, we, if you sin, confess your sins, God, then God will forgive your sins and, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, uh, do you pray? Do you pray confessing? Do you, do you um, ask for that cleansing? I mean, you, you probably know what I mean by cleansing, don't you? I mean, we, we have things in our head and our heart and our mind, you know, about our head and our mind, our head and our heart anyway, uh, habits, you know, that need cleansing away. They need the washing of the water of God's word and his spirit. Okay. Um, uh, there's a lot more we could talk about there, but let's... let's <laughs> We're not going to be able to do a complete review, but let's think about where we've come from and where, where, uh, what we've learned and how it's impacted us. Okay, one thing I noticed <clears throat> early on is that <clears throat> I mean, if you have the book, you can just look down through the chapters, headings. He he uses uh, the possessive sins, possessive, whatever. Origin, contagion, etc. Uh, it, but it occurs to me it's a little more, it's a little more uh, nuanced than that. Uh, sins, uh, in the possessive sense, uh, it, it exposes a characteristic that sin possesses, that it has. Okay, so like. Uh, like sin's secrecy, for instance. Secrecy, I mean, in John, I think it's in John 3, that, uh, that we, we shy away from the light because of our sin. Okay, we don't come into the light that it may be dealt with. Uh, so there's a secrecy. That's a characteristic of, of sins. Okay. Um, now that of course you'll you'll say oh that contradicts what I see today in the culture people sin boldly well but sin still has a secrecy I think um, the other way is that sin sins of whatever exposing a category of sins for instance sins pride or the pride as a sin as a category of sin okay so you have to. You, in this book, you will have to think about it in, in the two different ways. Uh, not every chapter will lend itself to, to uh, one or the other, or, or to both. Um, some of the things out of the introduction, and in maybe a chapter or two just by way of review, let me read this. Uh, on page 13 in the first page of the introduction. Christians should know, and I'm going to ask a question, so pay attention. Christians should know that a proper understanding of grace, 
requires a thorough grasp of sin or of the doctrine of sin. We don't want to hang on to sin, by the way, through the knowledge of sin. Why is this? Christians should know that a proper understanding of grace requires a thorough grasp of sin. Why is that? I'm careful about emphasizing reflection on your sin, but to some degree, to a very large degree, really, we need to be in the habit of reflecting on that. We don't want morbid introspection, and we don't want a dead-end introspection. There, there, for the Christian, there is no dead end on that. You can look at your sin and understand it and regret it and, and uh, uh, grieve over it deeply, and you can turn right away to the one who, who's paid for it. Like, yeah, right, right. And I have an Augustinian <laughs> quote on my wall at, at, off in my, on my office that, that's along these lines, but I cannot remember it to save myself here. Luther, if you see yourself as a little sinner, you will inevitably see Jesus as a little Savior. So what is that saying? We, we want to magnify Christ, okay? That won't happen if we're hiding, hiding some part of sin off in the dark corners of our soul and our mind, okay? It just won't happen. Um, if you see yourself as a little sinner, you will inevitably see Jesus as a little Savior. That even speaks to the sins of omission, I think, is that this is a little sin. You know. Okay? Um, some of the great displays of both God's character and his grace are revealed in the context of sin. Examples. Genesis 3. What do we see there? Sin. We have the, the great disaster Okay, the great disaster. But right away, that little hint, you know, from your seed will come. The one who will crush the head of Satan. Okay, and we, it's happened. <laughs> he's come. <laughs> and he's done it all. Okay. So right away, you know, you see what happened there. I mean, God is glorified by, not by the sin, but by the salvation. Okay. Uh, Psalm 51, you're acquainted with that, you know. There's his, you have, we, we know the sin that was behind Psalm 51. Uh, but his grace and his character is, is displayed. Psalm 53, I, I'm sorry, Isaiah 53, and starting in 52. And, and others, okay? Um, I mean, I'm sure that you'll say in my review I should have hit on this topic and that topic and that topic, <laughs> but I'm, it's not going to happen here in five minutes. Um, finally, remember here he's... Um, uh, he, this is Jones. Finally, remember Christ 
is for us, but he is for real sinners, not pretend ones, not ones who are saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a sinner because I've got this little sin over here. Well, there's all of this. Martin Luther, let's see. Martin Luther wrote to Philip Melanchthon, uh, exhorting him to preach a true mercy, not an imaginary mercy, but true mercy must be preached in the context of true, not imaginary sin. Now, uh, contrast that with the, the, the title of this book, Knowing Sin, okay? Uh, God saves real sinners, not imaginary sinners. Luther concluded his letter, pray hard for you are quite a sinner. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I'd like to sort of close. I mean, I'll, I'll read this, but I want to uh, then ask, you know, solicit questions. Again, Luther. Uh, the fatuous idea that a person can be holy by himself denies God the pleasure of saving sinners. God must therefore first take the sledgehammer of the law in his fists and smash the breast of self-righteousness and its brood. <laughs> it's quite idea, image of self-confidence, self-wisdom, and self-help. When the conscience has been thoroughly frightened by the law, it welcomes the gospel of grace with its message of a Savior who came not to break the bruised reed, nor to quench the smoking flax, but to preach glad tidings to the poor. Isaiah 61 again, to heal the brokenhearted and to grant forgiveness of sins to all the captives. He'd been reading Psalm, uh, Isaiah 61. That's pretty good. Okay. Um, any other questions or reflections on what you gained from this. Uh, and by the way, I would, I mean, if you haven't read this, I, I'd recommend reading it, okay, um, meditatively even, okay. And there are, there are other books like it. Uh, I, I was thinking of Jerry Bridges' uh, Pursuit of Holiness, okay. That's the flip side of, of this book in a way. Uh, some of the Puritans. I've tried to wade my way through Owen's, uh, which is Mortification of Sin. Uh, that's a good one, too. Um, Augustine, uh, his uh, confessions. Anything else? Okay. Sir? By what? Yeah, for it to come home. It has to come home too to you before you'll really truly heart admit it in a heartfelt way. Um, 
But that, that what you've said applies to non-Christians, but it also, I think Christians who have found themselves in sin can't, are the same way, you know, that, that pushing past that to ad, con, admission, confession, repentance is, it's not, a, it's not an easy thing. Okay, sir? Right. It's it's not only yeah. I'm interpreting what you're saying here. It's not only hard to bear. It's we we don't we, we can't bear the weight of that thought that you know. Um, you'll notice this great. The picture you're painting is this great sea of sin with effects going all over the place and coming back to haunt us and uh, haunt everyone around us and uh, to a degree that we can't. We can't get our hands, arms around it. But remember, we do have a sovereign God who's over all of this. He's, he's over all of it. Turn to him often. It's, it's where joy is found. Yeah, right. Okay. Next, uh, next is evangelism, and it's what is evangelism? Is that right? The first session. Yes. Okay. I didn't, I didn't dream that up. I saw it somewhere. I don't know where, in the bulletin maybe. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>